Looking at some of these other averages for the Boston Red Sox, those are the three leaders in runs scored. Aaron, long fly ball. That one is gone. Hold on. Henry Aaron, up on the screen, has just hit his 12th home run. And listen to this Boston crowd. Listen to them. You know, Jim, I think that Aaron really relishes this one because Bill Lee has thrown him nothing but junk all year long. He's thrown him that alley-oop change-up like they did over in the series in Milwaukee. And watch this one. Henry's first home run in Fenway Park. Got that breaking ball right in his power. What's cracking? Once again, back is the incredible, the pod animal, Jake the Snake Robinson from the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network. I'm coming out of Pauly's Island, South Kakalaki, half man, half podcast machine. Back in the Captain Kirk chair, shields down, photons up. Prepare to engage on this week's digital audio program that I call Backwards K-Pod, where we collect ball players and their stories. Want to welcome all of you in as I make a mad dash to the finish line in this uh, third leg of marathon that started about a week ago, which honestly, for for me, it seems so long ago, just a week. So, you know, last week I did the Adam Bythorn Baseball in Puerto Rico show. And this past Friday, I released the one-on-one interview with former baller Shay Hillenbrand. And the response on both of those shows have been overwhelming. First off, the Puerto Rican show, you know, it, it appeared to go over very well. I, I had a lot of people thank me for talking about Bythorn, a name they had prominently heard from the Winter Ball and WBC tournaments. Uh, many people, inclu- you know, myself included, never knew that Bythorn meant such a mysterious and violent end to his life. His murder in Mexico by a police officer, it, it's still quite baffling to me to this day. And if you haven't heard that baseball in Puerto Rico show, I highly suggest you check it out in the archives. And this past Friday, November 18th, I had Shea Hillenbrand in on a one-on-one interview. And boy, oh boy, the response on that has been prodigious. And what can I say about Shea? I love that dude. His life is an open book. He's brutally honest, poignant. And that there is a person who cares about his fellow man. He literally has 
Carblance here at BKP. I, I'll promote anything for that guy. He can come in and promote whenever or whatever he wants or just shoot the shit. I mean, it's an honor for me to talk to that guy. And I'm so glad that many of you saw the same things in him that I do. I mean, the life lessons on pain not transferred, is pain transmitted, audit your perspective, all that stuff right in my wheelhouse. And how about those stories, right? Dancing with Messina, flying remote planes in Skydome with Ray Halliday, eating sushi with Nomo. And of course, the, the greatest line ever uttered on Backwards K-Pod. You go to hell, Andy Pettit. <laughs> he fucking killed it. I'll be getting the mail together on these uh, last couple shows, and I'll share some of that with you on the next show. Uh, I want to say thank you to my CMAT audience, and thank you, Mr. Hillebrand, for taking time out of your busy day to sit down with the snake. And with that being said, I'm ready to finish this marathon strong, so I'm ready to get after it. Backwards K-Pod is available on all podcast platforms, wherever you listen to your pods, or you can visit my website, diamondsnakejake.podbean.com, to hear this or any of the other baseball shows in my vault of archives. And I will never charge my Seamheads one penny for the content on this show. No Patreon, no crowdsourcing. I mean, I can't believe some of these hosts who claim to love their audience, they charge their fans for a podcast show in today's economy. I'm just going to keep it. Keep it tight right here. I'm just going to keep coming through every Tuesday with that free baseball smoke. You don't want that smoke. I'm going to keep it consistent like Chipper Jones, baby. So, there you have it, seam heads. Short and sweet this week. I see the catcher is about to come down. Let's get this runaway freight train loaded up. All aboard. Let's set our date and destination to February 5th, 1934, Mobile, Alabama. As this week, we're going to be taking a look under the hood at the life of one of the greatest of them all, Henry Aaron. And one of my favorite quotes about Hank Aaron, uh, it actually came from Muhammad Ali. And Ali once said, the only person I admire more than myself is Hank Aaron. <laughs> I love that dude. And as a child who had, like, you know, broadcasting dreams in my head and in my heart from the time I can remember, I can still hear Milo Hamilton in my head. Henry Aaron in the second inning walked and scored. He's sitting on 714. Here's the pitch by Downing Swinging. There's a drive in the left center field. That ball is going to be out of here. It's gone. It's 715. There's a new home run champion of all time, and it's Henry Aaron. I, you know, that's just like something. And from the time I can remember that I heard that call, it's reverberated inside of me. And even today. It's still the perfect home run call for me. And the play-by-play call in itself has always caught my imagination. And then the thought of how with that one swing, Aaron not only passed Babe Ruth as the MLB home run king, he also made significant strides in the integration of baseball as well as in the country as a whole, smashing the record that was set by an always immortal Babe Ruth. 
move the game forward into another phase, a more inclusive fraternal brotherhood, setting the game on yet another course as baseball and the country move forward on a journey that was started by Jackie Robinson back in 1947. And I have that Milo Hamilton call on the History of the Braves pod show if you want to hear that. All you got to do is go back in the archives. By the time the 1974 season had rolled around, Hank was within three years of retirement, but the road he had taken to get to Atlanta had hardened him. It had tempered him, and more importantly, it centered him as he was intent on smashing that fucking record, no matter who liked it or not. He had walked the road less traveled to arrive at his destiny. At times, it was a terrifying path to say the least. But it prepared him the way only suffering can produce. And with one swing, the hammer would shrug off the twin burdens of fear and expectations and solidify himself as one of the best who ever done it. Here we are, folks. It's February 5th, 1934 in Mobile, Alabama. And a star has been born. Of course, no one knows it yet, but Henry Louis Aaron, as he came into this world, was the son of proud parents Herbert and Estella Aaron, and the brothers of seven other siblings. And... As you can see here, the Aarons live in one of the poor neighborhoods in Mobile. As the locals here call this area down by the bay. The Aarons will eventually move to the nearby district of Tumanville. The family lived on the edge of abject poverty. Mostly due to the impact of the Great Depression. So every member of the family worked to contribute. As a youngster, Henry would pick cotton as well as other odd jobs to help his family. And... While Henry's parents could not afford to buy him uh, proper baseball equipment, Aaron would learn to play by hitting bottle caps with uh, broom handles. And that just goes back to what we were talking about a couple weeks ago, you know, how we as seamheads come up with ways to play baseball, especially when you grow up poor. And at this time, Hank had heard the game, uh, uh, you know, a few times on the radio. He had seen the pictures of games in the newspaper, and he would hear the grown men talking about the game at work, and he fell in love with the game. He was completely self-trained when it came to hitting. And one of the consequences of his self-teaching was that he developed this cross-hand grip batting style, where his right hand was actually his bottom hand on the bat. And his left hand was the top. The absolute opposite way you should do it. And, you know, a great way to break your wrist. Which, sidebar here, I actually believe that all those years swinging incorrectly, they had hardened Aaron's wrist into, you know, like these cast iron wrists. In all my years of baseball, I've never seen stronger or faster wrists than Hank. And so, I don't know, I saw Gary Sheffield and then Bonds. I mean, they're comparable. And whenever you watch Hank hit on YouTube or wherever, you know, really try to zone in on his wrist. They were electric. And it explains the power from a much smaller man than these brutes that are dropping down now. Uh, it's those wrists. 
good brothers and good sisters. And I believe the years of hitting cross cross grips had made those wrists cast iron. He hit that way until his early days in the pro ranks. And Henry was a naturally gifted athlete, participating in both football and baseball at Central High for two years on the diamond. Lil Hammer played shortstop, third base, some center field on a team that won the Mobile Negro High School Championships during those freshman and sophomore years. In 1949, at the age of 15 and inspired by the rise of Jackie, whom he'd seen on many barnstorming passes through Alabama, Hank tries out for the Brooklyn Dodgers. Now, he doesn't earn a contract offer, and it's likely because of that unorthodox cross grip that I told you about. His failure to earn a contract, it only motivates the young Aaron even more. And he transfers uh, to the private Joseph Allen Institute for his final two years of high school education. Now, he had been playing semi-pro ball for Pritchett Athletics since he was 14. And it was somewhere in the midst of this time, he draws the attention of baseball scout Ed Scott. Ed Scott convinces Henry's mom that it would be a good move to sign up with the Mobile Black Bears, a semi-pro team, for $3 a game. And his mother, Estella, she, she gave permission to Henry to play, but she insisted that he was too young to travel, and he could only play in the local games. And it's important to note that $3 in 1947, it has the purchasing power of a little more than $40 here in the 2022 economy. So... In today's terms, he's making around $40 a game at 14 years old. Not too shabby, right? On November 21st, 1951, despite his mother's concerns about Henry not continuing to go to college, Hammer signs a $200 a month contract with the Negro American League champions, the Indianapolis Clowns, at the age of 17. Again, $200 $200 in 1951 with an average inflation rate of 3.49 annually from 1951 till today. It puts it at an increase of 1,046.20% or about $2,300. So he's making $2,300 a month to play baseball at the age of 17. Scout Bunny Downs, he discovered Hank playing with these Mobile Black Bears in an exhibition game. And once he brought him into the Indy Clowns organization, Hank, barely 18 years, years old, he excelled. He's leading the team to the 1952 Negro League World Series crown. In 26 games that year, he destroyed pitchers. At a 326 clip, he had five home runs, stole nine bases. The hammer was... Showcasing his skills in that limited time, not only to the regional scouts, but now also several major league organizations who were jumping on the integration train after watching Jackie and the Dodgers ball out. After winning the Negro Leagues World Series, Henry received two telegrams. One was an offer from the New York Giants. And stop the press, butterfly effect moment. Can you imagine... Mays and Aaron together, rocking the black and orange. Having Aaron in New York City with Willie, maybe that changes history. Baseball dominance, maybe the Giants never leave Manhattan. So many ripples coming off of those wings. I I put this right up there with the Dodgers losing Clemente in the Rule 5 draft to Pittsburgh. So, 
Aaron gets a telegram from the Giants, and he gets one from the Boston Braves. Aaron would choose the Braves over New York because of a $50 a month salary difference. $50 a month. Just $51 more, and the Giants could have had a one-two punch in Aaron and Mays that is every bit as talented and powerful as Ruth and Garrett. I digress. Boston immediately purchased his contract from the Clowns, and on June 14, 1952, Aaron signs with Brave Scout Dewey Griggs, and he reports the Class C Euclid Bears. And it was there that the coaches helped him eliminate his crosshand grip, and the results were staggering. In your face, in 87 games, he batted 336 with 19 doubles. He was selected as the Northern League Rookie of the Year, and he entered a spot on the league's all-star team. With Jackie still under his closed-door agreement with Mr. Ricky to keep his cool for three years and not respond to any of the awful vitriol thrown his way, the Braves were keen to the way Aaron also had the ability to compartmentalize and turn the other cheek from this abuse. The next season, 1953, it found him and his black teammates Horace Garner Felix Mantania on the Jacksonville Tars, along with other players Al Israel and Fleming Reddy. The quintet would break the color line of the Sally League and the heart of old Dixie without the cover of a sympathetic press. I mean, it was quite the contrary, actually. Hank forced those fans to accept him. In the first desegregated season in South Atlantic League history, the hammer went off, batted 362, led the leagues in runs scored with 115, 208 hits, 36 doubles, 135 ribs, and 338 total bases. He led the Tars to the title, and he won the league MVP. And many parts of the South, Jacksonville, they're still governed under this archaic and stupid Jim Crow laws. And the players were still forced to live in separate accommodations on the road or have equally limited dining options. Forcing a local sports writer to quit, Hank Aaron leads the league in everything except hotel accommodations. That year, Henry met a woman named Barbara Lucas on a whim. She had attended the game one night early in the season. And she watched Aaron single, double, drop, dong. By October 6th, not even 20, year, 20 years old yet, Henry marries Barbara, and within a year, they welcome, the, they welcome their first child into the world, a daughter they named Gail. Aaron spent that part of the offseason playing winter ball in Puerto Rico, learning how to play the outfield, working with Coach Mickey Owens on some uh, batting stance adjustments. The following spring, March 13, 1954, Braves left fielder Bobby Thompson. The same one who had just three years earlier hit the shot heard around the world. The one that won the Giants a pennant. He breaks his ankle during an exhibition game. And the next day, Hank made a starting lineup debut as the new left fielder. Of course, he homered. And after the game, the Braves offered Hank a major league deal. April 13th, 1954. Aaron makes his major league regular season game debut in the season opener. Two days later, he doubled off cards pitcher Vic Rasky for his first hit as a big leaguer. And on April 23rd, he victimized Rasky again, this time for his first home run. Hank would fracture his ankle in September, putting the rest of 
uh, putting the rest of his rookie year on the shelf. But he batted 280, 122 games, 13 home runs. It was good enough for fourth place in rookie of the year voting behind the winner, Wally Moon. In 1955, Hank would move to right field where he would earn the first of his 21 consecutive All-Star seasons. During the early days of his career, uh, Milwaukee's public relations director, Don Davidson, he began calling him Hank, as he was known by those that were close to him. And this was in an effort to make the quiet, humble star player appear more accessible. In 1956, Aaron wins the first of his two NL batting titles. Led the league with 34 doubles, was named Sporting News NL Player of the Year. And that season, he was put in a four-hole behind brave slugging third baseman Eddie Matthews. Up until this time, Hank had swung a 36-ounce bat. But now he was using a 34-ounce bat with a uh, skinny handle there. And the increase in bat speed had propelled him to lead the league with 44 home runs, 132 RBIs, and a 322 average to win his only NL MVP. In 1957... The Braves behind the arm of uh, Lee, uh, Lou Burdett and Warren Spahn as well. The Power Bats, uh Matthews, Aarons, they won the only World Series championship in Milwaukee history. And much of this stubborn, again, I covered in the history of the Braves show. I covered that franchise all the way back to the 1860s. Anything you want to know about the Braves, their moves, all their funky little name changes, it's in that podcast. So, all you Braves freaks, you need to check it out. And that's in the archives. I did the history of the Braves after they won the World Series last year. And this year, in the new upcoming season, I'll be looking at the history of the new defending world champions, the Houston Astros. So, wherever you listen to your pods, or com, go check it out. History of the Braves. But, getting back to the 57 World Series... Aaron, in particular, he destroyed Yankees pitching in that fall classic. He bashed 393, and he dropped three home runs. And I was telling you about his wrist. He, his power, it literally flows through his, flowed through his wrist. Hank once told baseball writer George Will in the 1990 must-have baseball classic, Men at Work, The Craft of Baseball. I never worried about the fastball. They couldn't throw it past me, none of them. And that's true. In essence, it's much like trying to throw a pork chop past a wolf. Hank is going to feast on fastballs all day and night with those quick wrists, swinging his hippie thin handle bats. He was able to wait on a pitch for a split second longer, which, you know, in baseball terms, it's an eternity. But he can wait on that pitch a little bit longer because of his unique physical talent in his wrist. And he can seemingly snatch the ball from the catcher's glove with his bat. 1952 was special for another reason in the Aaron household. As Barbara and Hank had their first son, Hank Jr., who was born in March. And in December, twins Larry and Gary arrived. Although, tragically, Gary died shortly after his birth. I mean, they didn't mess around, right? The family came together. They rallied, and in 1962, they had one more daughter, and her name was Dorinda. In 1958, due in large part to Hank's 30 diggers, the Braves would once again advance to the Fall Classic in a return matchup versus the Yankees, but they would fall on seven to the Bombers. Aaron finished third in MVP voting that year, but he did win his first 
Gold Glove Award. On June 8, 1961, Eddie Matthews, Hank Aaron, Joe Adcock, and Frank Thomas, they became the first quartet of hitters to go back to back to back to back yard in succession. That was in a loss of the Cincinnati Reds. In 1963, he led the NL in home runs and RBIs, but he also became the only third member of the 30-30 club when he swiped 31 bags and dropped dong 44 times. That year, he barely missed the Triple Crown, losing the battle t- batting title by point zero zero seven thousandths of a point to Tommy Davis of the Los Angeles Dodgers. And Hank... He continued to excel through the decade. In 1966, the first season for the Braves in their new hometown of Atlanta, Henry hits his 400th home run off Phil's pitcher, Bo Belinsky. He would blast number 500 two years later versus Mike McCormick and the San Francisco Giants. And on June 30th, 1969, he would pass Mickey Mantle with blast number 537. On May 17, 1970, in the second game of the doubleheader, the hammer, he smashes out an infield hit that second baseman Woody Woodward was able to range after, but he had no shot with the throw, and it was good for a clean infield hit. That was number 3,000. You know them good old days when middle infielders had to actually play their position and not have three infielders on one side of the bag. Well, you know, that was good enough for hit number 3,000. And side note, I'm so fucking glad the shift is going bye-bye. I think a lot of middle infielders are going to be saying bye-bye to their jobs as well. The days of Moustakas at second base, they're over. But again, I digress. And a couple of things about the uh, the 3,000 hit there. Aaron is now 36 years old. He's in his 17th season. He enters the game batting 344, and he's leading the NL in home runs with 15, 37 RBIs, and a slugging percentage of 744. In other words, he's still a beast. The batter he got the hit off, or uh, the pitcher he got the hit off was 21-year-old Wayne Simpson, who was 5-1 five, five with a 2.05 ERA. The infield hit drove in teammate Felix Milan. And Aaron became just the ninth player to hit 3,000 hits at that time. And only two players at that time besides him had 3,000 hits outside of the dead ball era. Era. Paul Wainer in 1942 and Stan Musel in 1958. And he was the first player to have 3,000 hits and 500 home runs. Now. When Aaron caught that inside heater, the rookie Simpson, who was, you know, he was an early uh, season sensation that year. He had a three-hitter in his debut, a one-hitter in his third game. He asked the reporter, if he hits like that now, what was it like ten years ago? While teammates Joe Adcock and Eddie Matthews launched these, you know, majestic moonshot home runs over the fence, the six-foot, 180-pound Hank and his Muscle memory hand action. Yeah, I mean, that was you know that was a secret. Hank just hit like these screaming line drives. Even on many of his home runs, they just kind of like jumped out of the stadium like they were shot from a cannon. And that year, with his thirty-eight home runs, he established a new NL record for most seasons by a player with thirty or more home runs with twelve. 
The following year in April, Aaron hit number 600 off of future Hall of Famer Gaylord Perry. And with that home run, he joined only Ruth and Gehrig in a most exclusive at that time 600 club power hitting fraternity. On the domestic front, Hank and Barbara, they're going through it. They're watching their marriage disintegrate as they drift apart. And in February of 1971, the couple divorced. Two years later, in 1973, Aaron would remarry Billy Williams, a former Atlanta journalist. And despite MLB's first work stoppage in 1972, Aaron passed Willie Mays on the all-time list when he hit home run number 661 of a Don Gullett on August 6th. Now, the one thing that no, no one ever talks about in that first work stoppage is how it actually impacted Aaron chasing Babe Ruth for the crown. The two weeks lost to be, uh, pension benefit negotiations, it represented eight games of lost opportunities for Aaron to chase down Babe. And by the end of the 1973 season, with the national media now in a lather over Hank, he ended the season with 713 home runs, just one shy of tying the Bambino. And the stress on a baseball player, the teams, opposing players, and even the fans, it revealed itself early in the 1973 season. Henry retained his quiet dignity and stoicism with the medium, never letting the enormity of the moment break him in public. Aaron received literally thousands of letters every week, some of them very positive. But the majority of them were disturbing threats of violence from citizens still smarting from, I don't know, the Civil War, from the contentious Civil Rights Act passed a mere decade earlier. And, you know, they're less than a generation removed from Rosa Parks telling the bus driver to kindly go fuck himself. So, you know, they're, 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 they're angry. They're angry because, you know, people want to be equal. And, folks, I'm going to tell you, these notes... Many of them were on display in the National Baseball Hall of Fame, and you can easily look them up. Plenty of accounts of these letters, and I thought long and hard on whether I was going to divulge the content in these letters, and in the end, I decided I'm not going to repeat that trash. I'm not going to reread it. I'm sure you can imagine what was being written, and I'll just leave it at that. It's not even worth repeating, although, although I do think it is a valuable piece of baseball history, and I applaud Cooperstown uh, for taking care of them. And you can find those if you really want to look into the minds of morons. So, you know, just go to Google and you'll fucking find them. Now, I will say this. Describing these letters as mere irrational discourse some 50 years later... It may seem reasonable. I, I mean, we've seen stuff as bad on social media. We've had political leaders in our own country espouse horseshit like this. But at that time, with a black player pursuing the most hallowed record of them all in sports, from the all-American legend Babe Ruth, in the early 70s, the threat was taken very real. Two years earlier... The Braves hired an armed security guard to keep an eye on Hank at all times. Now, on the positive side, once the stories of the hate mail and threats of violence were leaked to the press, public support for Aaron began to pour in. 
But Aaron perhaps channeling his hero, his inner Jackie Robinson, he, he took the field without any regard for that noise around his bubble. The hammer waited one at bat to tie the Bambino, hitting number 714 off of Reds hurler Jack Billingham opening day in his first at bat on April 4th, 1973. On April 8th, in front of 53,775 fans in Atlanta, Aaron crushes an out-downing, hanging breaking ball to finally break the most cherished record in all of sports. And for the first time in years, the poker face is gone, as Vin Scully would say, as he is rounding second base. At first, there's an, <laughs> and there's an alarm look on Hank's face as he feels someone tugging on his arm, uh, his left arm, and then the arm drapes around his shoulder from the uh, right side, and he looks up, and he's still in his home run trot. I'm sure most of you have seen this. He's surrounded by a couple of the white fellas running with him. In later years, Hank admits there, there was a sense of danger at first, but he looked into the kid's eyes. And in his words, he felt the love immediately. He wasn't worried at all. That security guard that I told you about that was hired by the Braves, uh, he, on the other hand, he was very alarmed. And his first instinct was to charge the diamond, you know, like Bruce Willis with his burner out. And, you know, he gave a huge sigh of relief when he saw the boys and Hank smiling. By the time he rounds third base, he sees not only his teammates waiting for him by the plate, but his father as well, and his mother hopped on the field to meet her son at the plate, and I just got goosebumps, ladies and gentlemen, and my screen is getting a little glassy here. Let me play you the Vince Scully call while I compose myself a little bit here. Across the grass, 
threw her arms around his neck, kissed him for all she was worth. As Aaron circled the bases, the Dodgers on the infield shook his hand, and that was a memorable moment. Aaron is being mobbed by photographers, is holding his right hand high in the air, and for the first time in a long time, that poker face of Aaron shows a tremendous strain and relief from what it must have been like to live with for the past several months. It is over. At ten minutes after nine in Atlanta, Georgia, Henry Aaron has eclipsed the mark set by Babe Ruth. And that mo- that moment to this day, and when I hear Vin Scully, whenever I hear Vinny, I mean, it's, you know, it is what it is, but... To this day, I, I still just get deuce chills when I see that. When I see the kids around him, when he's rounding second base, and, you know, there's a little bit of, like, what's going on? And, oh, okay, they look like they're safe. They look like they're safe. And then he rounds third base, and, you know, his team is waiting for him, and his dad's sitting there, and his mother's jumping over, you know, the barrier to get on the field. And I tell you, it just, it's still to this day, it impacts me. And the euphoria of that moment, it lasted all season. When Hank hit his 733rd and final home run as a, as a Brave on October 2nd, 1973. A month later, he was traded to the Brewers for Roger Alexander and Dave May. On May 1st, 1975, he became the all-time RBI leader. And on July 20th, 1976... He hit home run number 755 of his stellar career in County Stadium. And he appeared in his final MLB game on October 3rd, calling it a career after 3,298 games. And let's just take a look at these sick, sick, sick ass numbers. By the hammer, Hank Aaron. Uh, 23 season with the Braves and the Brewers. 1957 NL MVP. 25 time All-Star. Uh, 25 All-Star appearances. Three gold gloves. Two batting titles. Voted into the Hall of Fame in 1982 on 97.8% of the ballot. 143 wins above replacement, which is the seventh highest war behind Babe Ruth, Walter Johnson, Cy Young, Barry Bonds, Willie Mays, and Ty Cobb. Only Barry, Willie, and Hank played in the integrated era of those seven players. Ironically, all of them are black men. His 2,297 RBI and his 6,856 total bases are the best ever in baseball history. 13,941 plate appearances, 2,174 runs scored, that's fourth all-time behind Ricky, Tyrus, Barry, 3,771 hits, that's third all-time, between, uh, behind Rose and Musel, uh, Rose and Cobb, 624 doubles, 13th all-time, 98 triples, 755 home runs, second all-time to Barry Bonds. 240 stolen bases, 73 times caught, 1,402 walks, 1,383 strikeouts. 
and he had a 305, 374, 555 slash, a 928 OPS, and a 155 OPS plus. So, I mean, you know, sick numbers, right? After retirement, Aaron would eventually return to Atlanta as the Vice President of Player Development in August of 1982. In 1999, MLB created the Hank Aaron Award to be given to the best offensive performer in each league each season. And in 2000, Aaron made the MLB's All-Century Team. In 2001, he was awarded the Presidential uh, Citizens Medal by President Clinton, and in 2002, he was given the Medal of Freedom by President Bush. And the slew of awards and records set, they but underscore to his relevance, not only in baseball's past, but also in America's future. He was a black man who successfully challenged the record of a white player, I mean, under, you know, threat. Whose legacy, you know, this is the one, not, not just any white player, the white player whose legacy borders on mythological, and he did it with poise, so unshakable, and it still, it still, to this day, remains a study in professionalism. When Barry Bonds broke his record during the 2007 season, there was a hammer, Hank Aaron, always baseball's classy ambassador, congratulating Barry on the San Francisco Jumbotron on his record-breaking home run. Dignity, pride, and courage. Those are the three words that we use when we speak of heroes. Those are the words that describe Henry as well. Perhaps that ain't by coincidence either. On January 22nd, 2001, the Braves announced that the hammer, Henry Aaron, died quietly and peacefully in his sleep. Rest in peace, Hammer. Godspeed and time will never dim the glory of your deeds. And I think with that, I just crossed the finish line of this marathon of podcast shows. Four shows in the last 14 days. Three of them in the past seven. And I'm ready to go to fucking sleep. And y'all know, I don't just slap these together like Tropicana Field or something. It takes time and research. But you know what? They're all worth it. I have the greatest core of Seamhead audience a good brother could ask for. And I hope you guys enjoy listening to these stories as much as I love telling them. So... With that mad dash in my rearview mirror, I now look forward to next week's topic as we roll into the December of 2022. Next week, the fix is in as I will be discussing the Chicago Black Sox and the 1919 World Series scandal. So, I can't wait to learn the inside skinny on that and bring it to you. But hey, you know, that's another story for another pod. Here at Backwards K-Pod, where we collect ball players and their stories. Everybody, please be safe. Happy Thanksgiving. Count your blessings and bestow them onto others. Parents, after everyone makes a pig of themselves on the Thanksgiving dinner, before you sit in the recliner and unbuckle your belt and unzipper that zipper, look at your kids. Yeah, look at them. They look, they look like they need some exercise. Take him or her outside 
to play a game of catch. If you live in Buffalo, throw snowballs at each other. I want to thank y'all for coming out. God bless and win the day. And like my boy Hillenbrand says, you go to hell, Andy Pettit. <laughs>